0: Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits.
1: You'll be hearing a new name throughout the podcast from here on out. In addition to David J. Scow and Rebo Wistner you will hear the name of Tom Baxter. Tom Baxter is the author of The Outer Limits Retrospective. At this time, it appears to be only available in Kindle edition, which you can find on Amazon for a very affordable price, or even for free using their Kindle Unlimited service. You know, it's not as in-depth as The Companion, but it does provide a brief synopsis and review for each episode, which is enough for me. I'm always eager to hear other perspectives on the show and see what clicked with them and why. Tonight's episode is another classic in the series. In The Outer Limits companion, David J. Scow states that this is arguably the show's best written episode, and it came from the mind of Joseph Stefano himself. Nightmare was one of the first four scripts that Stefano had written for the show. Of the four, only two would later become episodes, Nightmare and A Feasibility Study. Tonight we'll see the strength of loyalty and civility tested. Can the human spirit withstand and overcome, or will it erode and give way to more primal instincts? We'll have our answers shortly. Now as always, I will be spoiling tonight's episode, so if you haven't seen Nightmare, you can find it streaming on Hulu, or in glorious Blu-ray high def from Amazon and Kino Lorber. Now let's sit quietly and let Vic Perrin's control voice bring us into tonight's episode,
0: Nightmare. A war between worlds has long been dreaded. Throughout recent history, man, convinced that life on other planets would be as anxious and belligerent as life on his own, has gravely predicted that some dreadful form of combat would inevitably take place between our world and that of someone else. was right to the eternal credit of the peoples of this planet earth history shall be able to proclaim loudly and justly that in this war between unified earth and the planet ebon ebon struck first ebon its form of life unknown its way of life unpredictable to the fighting troops of earth a black question mark at the end of a dark, foreboding
1: journey. Written by Joseph Stefano, directed by John Ehrman, Director of Photography, Nicholas Kloss. Broadcast for the first time on December 2nd, 1963. We open with a multinational combat regiment of the Unified Earth en route to planet Eben. The strike at the hands of the Ebonites had galvanized the planet into setting aside their differences and unifying against their common enemy. One thing I noticed, and David J. Scow even brings this up in The Outer Limits Companion, is that this was the intended result in the Architects of Fear. The hope there was to unify the planet against an alien enemy, only in that case, the alien threat was created by our very own government. In this instance, however, there is no government created alien. The Ebonites are very real, and as we'll see later, possess advanced technology that can control the five senses among other things. So this combat unit is on the way to Eben to deliver some retaliatory action. The team is led by Colonel Luke Stone, who is speaking to his men as they approach the enemy planet.
2: We have no way of knowing what to expect of the enemy. We've never seen him before. All of the troops that have gone on before us have either been destroyed or captured, or have simply been unable to remain in communication with Earth. But we are going to land on Eben. We're going to fight on heaven. Now, whatever the Ebonites are, however they live or die, win or lose, we are going to remember at all times that we are human beings. Now,
3: if we...
1: Colonel Stone is played by Ed Nelson, who made appearances in the Twilight Zone episode Valley of the Shadow and Rod Serling's Night Gallery in a segment called Little Girl Lost. He would later appear in episodes of Kung Fu, Adam-12, and Dynasty, just to name a few. The Colonel's speech is interrupted by a loud explosion. It's at this point that an original score by Dominic Frontieri kicks in. This one is different, however. This one features the use of an onifetz. We touched on this briefly at the end of my chat with Reba Wisner a few episodes back, and we laughed about how onifetz spelled backwards spells Stefano. In Rebo we will control all that you hear, the outer limits and the aural imagination. Onifets are described as a makeshift synthesizer prototype that looked like a black box or like a big studio time clock. Frontieria incorporated Onifets into several scores, producing some of the most unique television scores to date. Using the Onifets and the score for Nightmare, for example, contained a weird, grotesque swooping electronic sound in the orchestra. I have to admit, Of all the Frontieri scores, I find this one to be the toughest list. I'm not saying it's bad or anything, there's just so much going on, and it stirs up feelings of anxiety. Which makes sense when you consider the story unfolding on screen, so it's perfect for that, but not quite so ideal for when you're watering the plants, I suppose. The men are captured and told to identify themselves. Each soldier is from a different part of the world, with Africa, Germany, Great Britain, and the US represented. What's interesting is the men are told to identify themselves using only their name, and each man gives his name, rank, and regional military affiliation. Except for one man, that is, who simply replies, Zhang.
3: Command, proceed at once to Compound 03, Base left, face left, march,
1: Forward. march. The men are marching to Compound 03 when Private Dix jumps out of line, and Evanette is revealed. He aims his wand to Private Dix, and his voice is silenced. Private Arthur Dix is played by legendary actor Martin Sheen who would go on to appear in Apocalypse Now, the West Wing, Catch Me If You Can, and the Departed, just to name a few. The men arrive at Compound 03. They comfort Private Dix, who is still unable to speak. They are told their needs will be met once the Ebonites have the information they need.
3: Each of you will be invited to participate in an exploratory interview. I shall conduct it. Private Dix will be the first to accept my invitation.
2: I demand that privilege.
3: Your demands shall be honored when ours are satisfied. Private Dix, guard,
1: escort Private Dix to my quarters. An Ebonite guard arrives for Private Dix, who doesn't want to go. As the men gather, the guard turns to Lieutenant Willamore and points to his eyes, which renders him sightless. The guard then leaves with Private Dix. Dix is shoved into the interrogation room. We get a brief glimpse of the observation window. We see the ebonite interrogator watching, and standing beside him are two humans dressed in military uniform. Private Dix approaches the window, but nothing can be seen. Just then, the ebonite appears in the window.
3: Sit down, Private Dix.
1: Private Dix drinks the water and begins to mouth his name and rank, which angers the interrogator, who tells him that the information is only useful for relatives who will apply for his insurance. Suddenly, Private Dix's mother appears behind him and says she wants her son, not his insurance. In shock, Dix runs to his mother, who disappears as he hits the wall. A knock is heard at the door and a man in uniform enters the room. Now this next clip is my favorite scene in the episode. In it, Dominic Frontieri's score is the connective tissue that amplifies the anxiety brought on by Dr. Worf's words and the nuance in Sheen's physical responses. Each bend of that note delivers a wave of dread and uncertainty that adds gravity to Dr. Worf's message. I'm Dr. Worf,
4: compound zero 01. I'm not feeling any pain, I... The, the Ebonites can control the senses. All five of them. They can give you back your voice anytime they choose. You don't remember me, but I tested you when you were inducted. Camp Clifford, remember? You were very resentful of being examined by a a head-shrinker, I think you called me. (laughs) I remember you. I can still recall the results of your psychological tests. Shocking. Shocking in someone so young and seemingly normal. But there it was, the most classic self-destruction complex I've ever come across. You're bound to destroy yourself, you know. <laughs> bound to determine. For example, you'll probably refuse to cooperate with the Ebonites, as you've been trained to do. And of course, they'll uh, torture you. And I have no doubt that you'll die rather than talk. But don't you see? There's nothing heroic about that. You want to die. Unconsciously, of course. Don't let those unconscious drives win out, Dix. Fight them. Fight them and live. And you will live if you cooperate. And it's so easy to cooperate, really.
3: That will be all, Doctor.
1: Watch that complex. I don't need to tell you how great an actor Martin Sheen is, but in this scene we can see why he became the actor he did. Private Dix is told he could speak perhaps if there were someone worth speaking to. And then Private Dix's mother appears.
0: Talk to your mom, can't you, baby? Tell me what they want to know. Oh, yeah. Then whisper to me,
4: baby.
0: Whisper all about
1: it. Private Dix embraces his mother, and we see him speaking into her ear just before she vanishes. He is then told that he may go. When he returns to the holding cell. Everyone is stunned to see that he is once again able to speak. It's at this point that the first cracks begin to show in the unit's trust of each other. Private Dix assures the men that he never gave up any information. Lieutenant Krug is called over the intercom. He will be interrogated next. Lieutenant Willimore pleads to go instead, but he is denied. A nervous Krug confides in Major Zhang that as a boy he was almost ousted by his nurse. For the fact that he wasn't a pure Aryan but that his grandfather was. Krug calmly kneels and drinks some of the water before being escorted from the cell by the ebonite guard. Krug enters the interrogation room to find a woman sitting on the floor.
0: Esa! Hey, you have been crying.
3: Your displays of congenital weakness convince me more and more that you are not. No!
1: The woman vanishes and a man appears.
4: Tell them and get it over with, soldier. Your buddies will understand. You turned in your grandfather, didn't you?
3: he forgave you
1: so we begin to realize that each soldier has a potential breaking point deeply rooted in their heart or mind when faced with it head-on there's a very real chance that they could crack i can tell you right now that if my late mother appeared before me i would simply fall to pieces so Private Dix's interrogation in particular struck a nerve with me. We're back in the holding cell, where Dix assures everyone that if anyone were to talk, it would not be him. Major Zhang, still calm and unshaken, turns to the Private.
5: Have you heard tales of the methods of extracting information during the Korean War? (laughs) But then the Chinese Communists couldn't control the five senses. Which makes me wonder about the Ebonites. It seems to me that a totally different form of life would have developed a totally different form of death. Oh, shut up! You know, death here will truly be a mysterious adventure.
1: You know, it really does make you wonder how other life forms perceive life and death. I mean, we all share the fight or flight response, so the instinct to avoid death is inherent in all living things and their understanding of death is fascinating to think about. Just imagine what we could learn or better understand about ourselves on an existential level. We cut to a close-up of a machine. The camera pans down to reveal that it is attached to the lifeless body of Lieutenant Krug. The scene fades, and the next scene fades into Colonel Stone, who is opening his eyes at the end of his interrogation. Before exiting the room, the Colonel looks back into the observation window. And again, we see the two men in uniform standing beside the Ebonite interrogator before vanishing. The interrogator tells Stone to inform the crew of the fate of Lieutenant Krug. The colonel is then escorted out of the room. And again, we see the men in uniform in the observation window.
2: Krug is dead. They said he went mad. They do not permit madness on the planet Ebon. They destroy the man.
1: Lieutenant Willamore is called next. He is relieved. He knows he will return with his sight back.
2: Don't let them seduce you with a promise.
5: No, sir. Promises just roll off my back.
1: Willamore leaves the holding cell and a concerned Captain Brookmore walks over to the Colonel.
5: Going to sleep while being interrogated by the enemy, an especially exotic enemy at that, is a bit much, isn't it? I mean, even for a professional soldier? As the hours go by, we are all apt to become increasingly unfriendly and suspicious.
1: Willamore comes back into the holding cell slowly and is visibly shaken. He's distraught over his interrogation. His sight was returned under the condition that the first sight he sees is the corpse of Lieutenant Krug. Willamore was horrified to see that the lieutenant had a hole in his chest and no heart within it. We cut to the interrogation room where a man in uniform walks in and greets captain brookman
5: terry brookman they told me we're here i couldn't believe it won't the hallucination break down if we touch good heavens terry do you believe that i'm not real are you i was captured on the ship before yours we lost a great number of men great many good young men so did we sir i tell you terry i i tasted tears well Lillian was right. She told me I was too old for this war. Nonsense, sir. You're doing beautifully. I tell you, Terry, war is outmoded. Well, it used to be fairly decent when it was a question of man fighting against man, but now it's just computers and technical magic. It's pointless to fight against brain work, Terry. It's pointless. You can't win. Did you try to, sir? I... I tell you, I... I taste guilt. I... I can taste it. But if I hadn't been trained to save the lives of my men, Trained like Pavlov's dogs. I would never have told those bastard Ebonites a bastard thing. Training always tells, General. Oh, Terry, I'm an old friend of the family. I owe it to your mother and father to see that you don't break their hearts. My father's heart is already broken and my mother's is unbreakable. Terry, please. General. Oh, here's the interrogator. He's not unlike we Earth-types. He demands a great deal of cooperation and raises the very Dickens if he doesn't get it. Leave him to me, General. He'll be very helpful, sir. His father and I went to the same school.
1: I love the line, my father's heart is already broken and my mother's heart is unbreakable. Truer words have never been spoken regarding a mother's love. The General leaves the room and Captain Brookman begins stating his name, rank, and serial number. The interrogator is frustrated he demands to know when and by which astral path the next unified earth fleet will use to attack captain brookman states his name once again but is interrupted by the interrogator who tells him he has had enough with captain brook's defiance he tells the guard to prepare the chamber the guard escorts captain brookman down a path and the scene switches to a projection screen the two men we've seen standing alongside the ebonite interrogator are now scrolling through ID photos of the crew. Stone. Next. Krug.
3: May he rest in peace. Willamore. No, I don't think so. Jong. Perhaps,
2: besides poetry.
1: A statement which I find hilarious, by the way.
2: Private Dix. This is my choice.
4: I've
0: seen these apple pie boys hold up under almost unendurable stress.
2: Too much uh mom in those eyes he's my choice yours
1: he goes back to stone mine colonel brookman returns to the holding cell he is shaken
5: i thought it was for me the interrogator ran out of patience he said prepare the chamber the way he said it he might as well have said open hell we must have meant it for... ...Jong.
1: We then see Major Zhang hanging by his wrists. His eyes are clenched shut, and he is in visible agony, while the Ebonite Guard zaps his arm with the probe. Jong screams in pain, before regaining his composure, and begins to recite poetry. We're back in the holding cell, where an Ebonite Guard brings in a tray of food, and sets it on the floor. The voice over the intercom informs the men that they will now be unguarded and given the respect due to a conquered enemy. In the Outer Limits retrospective, Tom Baxter says that the themes of loyalty and betrayal are fascinatingly played out through Stefano's amazing script and the great ensemble acting. And his words are definitely true in this scene. The men begin to accuse each other of breaking under interrogation. The altercation comes to a halt as Major Zhang appears at the entrance. He is accused of being a traitor and is even spat upon.
5: I was not brought before the interrogator. I was taken to a room with ropes and strung there. I was outraged, of course. I wanted the opportunity to not answer their
2: questions. Someone answered them.
5: Krug, probably. Why Krug? Why not Krug? The dead make such lovely scapegoats.
1: The ebonite guard walks into the cell and congratulates the men for their decision to cooperate and suggests that they draw straws to determine who the traitor is. Colonel Stone tells the guard that there are no traitors in his unit, but the Ebonite guard proceeds to read specific flight and attack details about the advancing unified Earth fleet. He states, we are not pretending, and leaves the cell. There is great tension between the soldiers.
5: Jong must have talked. Maybe Krug. They continue to interrogate us after Krug. You don't think John would talk? I don't know.
2: Why not any one of
5: us? They tortured Jong. They must have. Immediately afterwards, we are entitled to honor and respect.
1: So the solidarity the men had upon their arrival is now gone. Everyone had a reason to talk. Dix got his speech back. Willamore got his sight back. And Colonel Stone could very well have been put under hypnosis during his interrogation. Still, Stone is convinced that Jong is the traitor. He instructs the men to draw straws, not to determine the traitor, but to determine who will be the one to kill Major Jong.
5: Colonel, what would it accomplish? I could almost understand killing him before he talked. We thought he might be a traitor, but why now?
2: There's no leniency for a
5: traitor. None at all.
2: He earned the death penalty all by himself. There's no reason why we should handle Major Jong any differently here than if he were down on Earth. I told you all before we were captured, the only laws we would have here are those we brought with us. We need those laws. Even the questionable ones, even the painful ones, we need them. They remind us that we were civilized enough to make them in the first
5: place. Perhaps to remind us that we are not as civilized as we should be?
1: The men pull strings of torn fabric, and it is Captain Brookman that ends up with the short string. He will have to kill Major Jong.
2: My bare hands. We have no other weapons.
4: Go on, what are you waiting for?
5: Thank you for waiting, Captain. i finished
1: eating. I really enjoyed James Shigeta's performance in as Major Zhang. The entire time he keeps his cool, and even in the face of imminent death, never shows any sign of fear or panic. Captain Brookman is about to attack Zhang when he begins to shout.
5: you are convinced of my guilt?
3: What difference does that make? The guy that pulls a switch in a death house doesn't have to be convinced of anything. I am not an executioner! You poor short straw!
2: Short straw is not an order from the court. Where's my order from the court? Where are the 12 men who decided he should be executed? Are you suggesting that we wait until we get back to Earth and then let a military court handle it? Why not?
5: Yes, that's a civilized way. Oh,
2: great. Well, what are we supposed to do until then? Just stare at him?
1: Captain Brookman has bravely chosen reason over madness. Sadly, the rest of the men haven't made the same decision. In particular, Private Dix, who wants John killed immediately. Dix.
5: What did you whisper to your mother? What did you say? What did you whisper to your mother, Dix?
4: I, I didn't say anything. I told you before, I didn't say anything to her. Didn't you? No! No, I didn't. I
0: I know I didn't. I mean, I couldn't have. They told me that I could give it to you in return for telling them what you told me. Oh, no, 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 Mommy, please.
3: No, Mommy, please. Don't tell me that I didn't tell you anything. Oh, please help me. Tell me I didn't say I'm you. Please, Mommy. Please help me. Please.
1: The men watch as Private Dix hugs empty air, pleading to his mother, who isn't there.
3: <laughs> you believe her, don't you? <laughs> yes, you always have. <laughs> you never believed me. <laughs>
1: Private Dix storms out of the cell and runs into an empty hall before collapsing on the floor. We see two men in front of a monitor when an ebonite calls to them.
3: Private Dix has suffered a complete mental breakdown. Major Jong will not recover the use of his right arm for a year or more in your measure of time. Lieutenant Krug is dead.
5: Natural causes. We couldn't have foreseen that one of the members would suffer it.
3: There must be no more incidents, unforeseen or otherwise. The charade must end. Those men
1: shall be told the truth. They must be. So we come to the big twist of the episode. The Ebonites have been working with the unified Earth military all along. Colonel Stone walks in and is shocked by what he's just overheard.
5: How dare you interfere! You spoiled the whole game. 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 I'm sorry, Colonel, but I do not apologize. I couldn't allow a single one of you to be in on it, not even you. But all this. All this agony. <laughs> Lieutenant Krug's dead from a heart attack. And the Ebonites used their most advanced methods to try and save him. But
2: they failed. This... this is a nightmare. I mean, is this part of it? Is this an hallucination?
3: It is all
2: too real.
1: So the ebonite attack on Earth was actually an accident. And there was no war going on. This entire ordeal was set up to test the psychological limitations of the soldiers of Unified Earth. They draw comparisons to the Korean War where they say one out of every 10 prisoners of war gave up information. Sure, there was no deliberate attack, but what if an attack comes from somewhere else one day? How will military leaders know what to expect of their men?
5: We're interested in how your men will resolve the problem of Major Jung. We
2: were going to kill Major Jung.
5: We will try to prevent that.
3: And if you can't, an innocent man dies,
5: at the proper time, we'll tell your men what we've been doing. We'll free them to join the other troops up here. Maybe even let them go back to Earth for a rest. And a citation. No. I'm not gonna let them suffer another minute, Ab- no.
3: no. No, no,
1: no, We're back in the holding cell where the men have had enough and begin to devise a plan. Just then, an ebonite enters the cell and we cut to Colonel Stone rushing toward the cell, with the two generals chasing after him. They arrive to find the man attacking the Ebonite guard.
5: Salvi! Salvi, no! No! Let him go! That's an order. Major, if you don't obey, I'll kill you.
1: Willamore knocks the gun from the general's hand, and Brookman picks up the gun, and then fires around into the general.
2: I thought he was he wasn't he was real
1: the men stand in stunned disbelief as the control voice takes us out
0: the exploration of human behavior under simulated conditions of stress is a commonplace component of the machinery called war so long as man anticipates and prepares for combat be it with neighboring nations or with our neighbors in space, these unreal games must be played. And there are only real men to play them. According to established military procedure, the results of the ebon maneuvers will be recorded in books and fed into computers for the edification and enlightenment of all the strategists of the future. Perhaps they will learn something.
1: Another fantastic episode, certainly worthy of its status as a classic. It goes to show what you can achieve with excellent writing and acting. This entire episode was basically shot in an empty soundstage, leaving only the actors' performances to guide us through this ordeal. I'll use this opportunity to quote Sam Neill's character in Jurassic Park. At one point he turns to Hammond and states, Some of the worst things in history were done with the best of intentions. And that certainly applies here. Knowledge obtained at the cost of something terrible reminds me of my studies in x-ray school. We learned a great deal about the effects of ionizing radiation on the human body by studying the atomic bomb survivors at the end of World War II. This led to breakthroughs in radiation protection that perhaps wouldn't have happened had the bomb not been dropped. In the wake of this experiment are two dead men and multiple soldiers who were brought to their psychological breaking point, which resulted and them turning on each other. This episode was remade in 1998, and oddly enough doesn't feature Ebonites in their physical form at all. Instead, we just hear a voice over the intercom the entire time. Sadly, it doesn't come close to the original in my opinion. Which brings up the question, why even remake it at all? A good friend of the show, Lisa, mentioned that this was one of her favorite episodes. So I asked her if she'd be willing to share her thoughts on it, and she kindly agreed to. She has a final word on tonight's episode. Here is what Lisa had to say, Nightmare is one of my favorite episodes, not only because of how well written and acted and produced it was, but because it introduced me to and began a lifelong crush on the talent of Martin Sheen. As a child, of course, I responded to the gloriously creative and frightening makeup of the Ebonites and the peril each serviceman had to personally endure. But I also responded to the underlying message of what constitutes courage the manipulation of fear, and the irony of doing something inherently wrong for what was seen as the right reason. I love that the Outer Limits didn't feel they had to construct their scripts to appeal to a limited concept of what children like myself would understand about a layered story like Nightmare. We got it, we loved it, and we remember it. Thank you so much, Lisa, for contributing to the show. And if an upcoming episode happens to be one of your all-time favorites, Please feel free to write and share why it is, and I will gladly share it here. This is, after all, our own little corner of the podcast universe. A few bits of trivia before I go. The original title for this episode was Ebon Struck First. On the second day of shooting, Fred Phillips had a flat tire on the freeway, which left actor John Anderson to apply his own ebonite makeup. Byron Haskins was originally set to direct this episode, but the job ended up going to John Ehrman. And finally, Herman had the following to say on the subject of Martin Sheen. That was Martin Sheen's first job out here. I'd seen him on live TV, and he'd come out from New York and rented an apartment out here. I'd pick him up each day for work. He used to sit on his stoop at 5.30 in the morning and wait for me. Of course, all these facts and more can be found at David J. Skell's The Outer Limits Companion. So that's going to wrap it up for now. If you'd like to share your thoughts on an upcoming episode... You can email the show at Victor at TheOuterLimitsPodcast.com You can find the show on Twitter by searching at Outer Limits Pod and even on Instagram at the Outer Limits Podcast. Lastly, I want to thank the great Ted Doyle for the amazing podcast ID So that's it for me Join me next time when we cover episode 11 of season 1 titled It Crawled Out of the Woodwork Until that time, I am Victor Gamboa and in our return, control to you.